Sketches from Scripture presents After God's Own Heart, a teaching series from the book of Samuel. At the end of the book of Judges, the author writes, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel was a nation, but not a kingdom. The spiritual leaders were corrupt and aloof, and the nation wandered far from God. Thanks to the desperate prayer of a woman named Hannah, her son, the prophet Samuel, became the leader, priest, and judge of Israel, and God called him to anoint a king, one who believed, acted, and ruled after God's own heart. Will a king unify an adulterous nation and bring them back to the Lord? This is the story of the book of Samuel. I would love for you to welcome my good friend Marshall. You can see you on the phone camera there if it's although it's being really glitchy for some reason. Uh, but Marshall is here. We do a little um, Bible study together on Thursdays. We actually just started to do it. Um, so all the previous lessons are available on skidmore.substack.com. They're all there for you to uh, take a look at. And um, so please do that. Please share it with other people. Tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 2. So uh, before we get into the text, I want to show you something that I was just showing Marshall. Marshall was asking me about commentaries. And so I got out the hard copy of my Robert Alter, oops, sorry, my Robert Alter um, Hebrew Bible translation and commentary. It is a three volume set. It's the entire Hebrew Bible or as we Christians would call it, the Old Testament. Uh, this first book is the five books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy. This next book is the prophets, beginning with Joshua and going all the way through the book of Samuel, like we've been looking at and into you know, Isaiah and Ezekiel. And so you'll see it's the big thick one in the middle and then the writings on the end. And this will include um, Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and uh, um, uh, Proverbs and um Psalms, but I didn't say that already. So that's all in there. And so this is organized the way that the Hebrew Bible is, which is a little different than the way our Old Testament is. But um, the it's a really beautifully designed set. And what you'll see here, this looks like the letter N to us in English. This is actually the Hebrew character Aleph, which is like the letter A sort of or the A sound in Hebrew. And it's the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so his translation and commentary is adorned with this, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, it is actually from a series of tapestries that were done by a Jewish artist in 1978, I believe, which was the year that I was born. And so these tapestries, these tapestries were done, were created at the same time that I was. And uh, so this particular one, he, uh, the artist did one for every letter in the Hebrew alphabet. 
And so this is Aleph. And what you see here is basically the, the creation, you know, let there be light, the creation of uh, the universe. And if you were to look at this very closely, it almost looks pixelated. At first I thought, wow, why did they use such a low quality, you know, image to do this with? And then I read that this is a tapestry and it's basically cross stitch, just all sewn. It's all uh, fabric tapestry. So it's a really beautiful uh, set here. And each of the individual books, we'll take out the book for the prophets. And each book has more of the tapestry artwork on the front and the back. Just really beautiful, gorgeous color in each one of these. And inside he'll have, uh, so this one begins with Joshua. And so you'll have the contents and then you'll have um, the introduction to the Hebrew Bible, which I think might be the same in all of them. Basically he explains why he translates the way that he does and the type of commentary that, that he uses bringing forth that narrative style, things that we've talked about a number of times. And then, so here's Joshua. So he's got a map in there so that you can refer to the area and some of the places that are going to be talked about in the story. Uh, title card for Joshua. And then he's got an introduction. And so every book has an introduction explaining you know, things about authorship and when it was written and the basic themes and some of the things to think about as, as you're reading some of the narrative things that are going on and uh, the types of things that we would talk about in these lessons kind of in a general sense. And then as you get into the actual text, he'll have like on this page, this much is the actual text. And he's taken from the old Hebrew manuscripts. He's gone back and researched and done uh, what he thinks is the best translation given uh, all the ancient documents and things that we have, all the evidence that we have. And he does his own translation. Again, his attempt is to preserve the narrative style. And so he does his own translation. And then down here, all this is commentary. And it's basically verse by verse. Here's why I translated things the way that I did. Or here's some things I was unable to bring forward in the translation, but are clear and present in the Hebrew, things like that. And so um, Robert Alter, as I've said many times, has been my key resource in these lessons. And this is a really fantastic um, three-volume set. It was bought for me as a gift from my good friends, the Sprouls who know just exactly what to get a giant nerd like me for Christmas. And so it was a really, really nice gift, uh, which I appreciate very much. And uh, you can also get it in digital form on uh, Amazon and on Apple Books. So that way you can search it and, you know, highlight things and that sort of thing. You can get it either way. So uh, I love it. I highly recommend it. It uh, has really... Here's my goal in all this. Um, Marshall and I were talking earlier uh, about he, he just started a, a Bible study and uh, we were just sort of talking about all the things that you could talk about in a Bible study, even just from a single verse. You can go into all kinds of topics and conversations and those kinds of things. Um, and we had talking about Greek and Hebrew and, and how fascinating it, it would be to be able to read these in the original language. And as I... I've shared a lot of, you know, Hebrew language stuff as, as part of these series and makes it just really fascinating. Some of the things that are going on in the text. Um, but take the last lesson that we did Tuesday night, for instance. Yes, it, it really brings a new, a new, a whole new level when you understand things that are going on in the Hebrew. 
when we talk about in the very beginning, when it says the kings go off, we talk about Melakim versus Malakim, and which sounds like messengers. And that's kind of a pun that gives you some foreshadowing. All that stuff is real fun to talk about, especially if you're a big Bible nerd. Um, it's um, brings another level to the text that you didn't know was there. That's very cool. Uh, but you don't have to know all of that to read the story of David and Bathsheba and then the Lord and Nathan, the prophet, and the dying of the child and David's repentance and Psalm 51. Like you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand repentance, to understand uh, a broken man, to understand uh, being sorry for the evil that you've done. Like you don't have to go into all those things, right? So I don't go through all these things in these lessons because I feel like without this stuff, you don't really understand the Bible. It's it's not really that. My hope is that it just really makes you fall in love with the text and that it will make you go and read it because um, that's what I want you to do is I want you to read it. I know the text will teach you way better than I can if you will read it and obey. And so that's my goal here is just to make show you how really fascinating and compelling these stories are so that you will go and read them for yourself and that you will have an encounter with the word and the Holy Spirit will speak to you through the text and uh, that you will obey that and receive the transformation that comes from obedience. That's my goal. And as we start to bring this series to a close, I hope that you've been able to accomplish that at least a little bit. So we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 2 tonight. I'm just going to read not even the whole chapter. I'm just going to read a little bit, make a few comments, going to make some general comments about the series as a whole, and uh, and then we'll be done. As I've said, we've got live studio audience tonight. My friend Marshall is here with me, and you too can be part of the live studio audience. You can just do what Marshall did and pay a small sum of $1,000 US, and uh, you can have you can have his seat. I'll send you the bill when we're done. Okay. Okay. So First um, Kings chapter two is where we are. So let's look at that. And you'll see from the pericope heading here, David's dying instructions to Solomon. Solomon is his son with Bathsheba. As the time approached for David to die, he ordered his son Solomon as for me, I am going the way of all the earth. Be strong and be a man and keep your obligation to the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes, commands, ordinances, and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses so that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will fulfill his promise that he made to me. If your sons take care to walk faithfully before me with all their heart and all their soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. You also know what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. So we have skipped over um, quite a bit of text, text that if I were better prepared, we could go over and uh, skim. But... Uh, we saw Joab already sort of positioning himself to kind of vie against David in the David and Bathsheba story. David's lounging around at home. Joab is the one doing all the fighting. And so we see already the sword. Remember, God tells David, the sword will never depart from your house. And we see that already beginning to happen at the end of the 
Bathsheba um, story. And um, now we're after we're at the end of David's life. So we're after a lot of those events have taken place. So you see David referring to these things. Joab, who was once um, a, a close ally, now has um, fought against him and, and done him wrong. Uh, continue reading in uh, second half of verse five. Uh, he murdered them in a time of peace to avenge bloodshed and war. He spilled that blood on his own waistband and on the sandals of his feet. Act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray head descend to Sheol in peace. So he's telling Solomon, you get revenge for the evil things that he did. Verse seven, show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite and let them be among those who eat at your table because they supported me when I fled from your brother Absalom. So in the same way, he's telling Solomon to handle the people that have done evil. He's saying, recognize the people who have done good. Even these Gileadites, even these people that are not necessarily like us, let them eat at your table. Show them that much honor that they're eating at the king's table. And keep an eye on Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite, Benjaminite from Bahurim, who is with you. He uttered malicious curses against me the day I went to Mahanaim. But he came to meet me at the Jordan River, and I swore to him by the Lord, I will never kill you with the sword. So don't let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man. You know how to deal with him to bring his gray head down to Sheol with blood. So David is basically saying, well, I promised I would never kill him with the sword. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Um, you, Solomon, made no such promise, so have at it. Uh, verse 10, then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The length of time David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, and his kingship was firmly established. And um, so this is, as you'll notice, First Kings 2. We're out of the book of Samuel, but First Kings 1 and 2 were probably actually the end of of the book of Samuel originally. And so we're still sort of wrapping up sort of the end of that story. And again, remember, all the beginning of the Bible is kind of written as one continuous story, even though it's been written at different times by different authors. It's every author kind of picks up where the last one left off. And so from Genesis all the way through the end of Second Kings, there's one continuous story about the story of, of God and the story of God's people. And so here you see David at the end of his life saying um, we need to make right the things that have been wronged and the people who have done well, we need to show them honor. And what you see here is a, a David that is very much like the first David that we meet when he's a young boy. He is someone that recognizes righteousness, that sees evil for what it is, that is no longer distracted by the pleasures of life, or um, by the, the pleasures and the benefits of being king. And he recognizes that because of his own sins, in large part, his son is going to have his own obstacles to deal with. And uh, David is uh, not passing his actual sin on to his son, but he's passing the consequences of his sins on to his son, Solomon. And um, so you see David giving Solomon warning about the things that are to come. And so what you see here in David, a man who has been after God's own heart, 
What you see in David is you see someone who has experienced redemption. So when we looked at the book of Genesis, the Light in the Darkness series, the real hinge of that book is the story of Judah and the, Judah's ability to find forgiveness and, and sort of the invention of forgiveness. Uh, Genesis is about a lot of beginnings. It's about the beginning of the universe and, and the beginning of mankind and um, the beginning of, of religion and the, and the worship of God. Uh, the beginning, the beginning of lots of things, the beginning of cities, the beginning of music, the beginning of, of agriculture. It's about a lot of beginnings, but what it's really about is about the beginning of forgiveness. Likewise, the story of David is not just about a righteous man, but it's about a righteous man who falls and returns to a place of righteousness and honor. Uh, after his sin, even though he still suffers the consequences of what he's done, we see someone here who has been redeemed. Someone who, remember Nathan tells him, as he's explaining to David, you're the person that's done this evil. You've done a great evil and made the Lord angry. As he's explaining, he Nathan tells him right away, the Lord has forgiven you. You won't die, you're, but your son will die. The, the baby that Bathsheba is pregnant with, that child will die. Uh, but he tells Nathan tells David, you've been forgiven. So David experiences forgiveness. And in that forgiveness, writes Psalm 51, or Psalm 51 is written at least about that moment, if not written by David himself. It's written uh, about that, that contriteness, that, uh, that sorrow at his own sin, that sorrow at his own evil, at his own being an enemy of God. That's really what sin is, is we're an enemy of God. We're doing our own thing. We're making ourselves God. We're telling God we're better at his job than he is. And so David has taken on forgiveness and has responded to it with uh, living rightly and um, trying to seek out justice where it needs to go. And in so doing, really experiences redemption. So what does that word really mean? Well, at a very technical level, the word redemption, the, the, the root is redeem. The root of that is deem, D-E-E-M. Well, what does that mean? Well, we know what that means. It means that you assign a value to something, right? So if someone was deemed worthy of an award, it's because they have done the things required. They've achieved the value that is equal to the reward, just to, to receiving the reward. So we understand what the word deemed means. It means assigning a, a value, assigning a worth, assigning an identity to something, right? Uh, someone maybe who is, um, you know, in an archaeological field might be trying to uh, deem where these different artifacts came from by looking at their different qualities and things like that. It's assigning a value, assigning a worth, assigning an identity. So if something is redeemed, then it uh, the prefix re means back and usually has the connotation. If you're doing something back, you're doing it again. You're doing it a second time. And so we, we say the re means again, where it really means is, is back. So if, if uh, um, I pay Marshall, if I give him money and then he gives me money back, he repays me. So he's not paying me again. He's paying me back. Right. So so redeemed means that a value is given back. So when you're deemed by God, you're created in his image in the beginning. And sin comes in and 
mars that image, making us enemies with God, but God's forgiveness allows us to be redeemed, reworthed, revalued, re-identified. We get our value back. We get our worth back. We get our identity back. Remember from the Genesis series, we've been talking about the struggle between light and dark, the struggle, like Jacob had all these struggles with his brother and between his wives and with his sons, the struggle between the light and the dark, the righteousness and, and the, the, the evil, the, uh, the way of God and the way of man, constant, this constant struggle, this constant fight. And we're made in the image of God. We're capable of great good, but being human nature, we constantly are being selfish and choosing selfish and evil things. And so when we choose those selfish and evil things, it mars that image. It muddles up the world. The wages of sin is death, and that becomes our value. We are deemed to die, right? Uh, just like uh, David said in the last lesson, doomed is the man who has done this. Right? We are doomed. We are deemed to be doomed. And so God's forgiveness comes along and redeems us, gives us our worth back, gives us our identity back, gives us our created in the image of Godness back. And so for the Christian person who is redeemed, this is how we can go on living with ourselves. Because God says, my forgiveness to you wipes away, erases all the enemy evilness that you've done and lets you start over every morning from created in the image of God, capable of great good. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul would say, uh, you're created to do good, to do good works that God planned in advance for you to do. And so it's really about redemption. This whole story of David is really about being able to receive that forgiveness and find redemption. So I want to look at sort of a summary of the lessons that we've done. And I've got one of my old keynotes here from when I taught this in, in Sunday school and ignore the dates on this because this was from the, you know, the dates when I did the class before. But I just want you to see on screen, um, those of you who are watching, I want you to see the the text here, and I'll try and copy this into the show notes for those of you who are listening. If you want to be someone after God's own heart, the way that David was, that means that you're going to be pursuing God's heart. You're going to be after his heart, chasing after God's heart. And so what does it require? Um, it requires relationship. Now, you'll see this says Luke 11. I think I originally began this series with the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 when uh, we when I first did this with the College and Careers class. But you see right away the relationship that Hannah and Elkanah have, that uh, Hannah has with Samuel, that Eli has with his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. You see how important relationship is in the first opening sentences of the story of David, of the book of Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, with Hannah's fervent prayer, with uh, her righteousness, with her trust in the Lord, you see her trust. You see that she totally, implicitly trusts the Lord. 
And when the Lord grants her a son, she once more entrusts her son to the work of the Lord. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, we hear Samuel hears the voice of God. We talk about listening. We talk about really being aware of when God is working around you, when God is trying to include you in what he's doing, and quite possibly when the Holy Spirit is really trying to, to speak to you in some way and, and urge you in, into action or perhaps into repentance. First Samuel chapter four through chapter seven, we see the expulsion of the ark from the tabernacle and we see it make its way through Philistine territory, um, wreaking all kinds of havoc on these pagans until they finally send it back out into Israelite territory. And so we see the ark make a big U-turn and it geographically does what the characters in this story must do, which is repent, turn around, turn away from the way they're going and go back to where they belong. The Ark of the Covenant does that geographically. God, of course, is not, um, has no sin, has no need to repent of sin, but he turns back via uh, the, the Ark, geographically what the Ark does. And that is a metaphor for the story of people that must repent, that must turn around, that must turn away and go back to the way of righteousness. First Samuel chapter eight and nine, we see uh, the, the people beg for a king. And finally, Samuel in his humility obeys the Lord, anoints Saul, we're introduced to Saul. And uh, it's all about Samuel's boldness in trusting the Lord and in speaking on the Lord's behalf, but also doing so with humility and obedience. So if you're pursuing God's heart, if you're if you want to be somebody like David, if you want to be somebody, a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, then you're going to be pursuing God's heart. And it requires relationship with God, a relationship with God's people, requires trusting the Lord, requires listening to the word of the Lord, it requires repentance, and it requires a bold obedience with a humble spirit. When we got to 1 Samuel chapter 12, this is where Samuel retires and he sort of recounts a lot of the things that have happened. And so what we see him doing is remembering. And um, Samuel is remembering, not as an I told you so, although it does certainly have that effect, but his remembering is there to say, look at what the Lord has done for you and don't forget what the Lord has promised you, both if you do righteous things and if you do unrighteous things. Remember what the Lord has said and always let him be your real king. It's remembering, constantly being reminded of the word of the Lord. In 1 Samuel uh, 13 and 14, we looked at um, this idea of patience. This is where Saul is acting rashly. And because of that, ultimately has the hand of the Lord removed from him because he is afraid of everything but God. He is constantly acting out of fear. He's constantly acting timidly. He's constantly uh, acting impatiently. And so... Um, 1 Samuel 13 through 14 is really just lessons in patience. 1 Samuel 15, likewise, is about obedience. 
Saul does not obey. Uh, the word of the Lord does not obey Samuel. And finally, uh, God declares that he's removing his blessing, his anointing from Saul. But Samuel tells us the Lord's already appointed someone else. In 1 Samuel 16, we meet that person. And that chapter really is about vision. Remember that Samuel sees the oldest brother and he says, ah, this must be the one. And the Lord says, don't judge so quickly. The man sees with the eye, but God sees with the heart. We talked about not looking at things with our eyes, not seeing the world with our eyes, but instead seeing with our heart through the eyes. A phrase I picked up from Ravi Zacharias, a great blessing. 1 Samuel 17, the story of David and Goliath, is about confidence. And I don't know if I mentioned this during the lesson, but my friends Todd and Emily have a song called My Confidence. And the chorus is something like, um, my confidence comes from the weight of the sword at my side. And their whole song is about going into battle with the sword being, of course, the word of the Lord and having full confidence in that sword and not needing to be confident in themselves, not needing to be confident in their horse, not needing to be confident in their army, but because they're confident in the word of the Lord, they can be fully confident and content. You'll notice here I have some Psalms lined up which, with each of these lessons, um, and uh, I'll have these in the show notes for those of you who can't see who are only listening. These are Psalms that relate to some of these themes and would be a way for you to go through, um, now that you've been through each of these lessons, and maybe read some of these Psalms and just contemplate and be worshipful and be thankful for some of these lessons that you learned, a way to really uh, work on your heart and soften it up as you pursue what God wants, as you pursue God's heart. So someone who is pursuing God's heart, someone who's after God's heart, must spend time remembering, must uh, um, display patience, must be constantly obeying, must have the right kind of vision, must be seeing with the heart through the eyes, and must take confidence in the Lord, in the word of the Lord. First Samuel 19 and 24, this was from one of the lessons where we did a whole bunch of texts. I think we did 18 through 24. And uh, we just looked at David having the opportunity to hurt, kill, kidnap Saul, but not doing so because Saul, even though the Lord had removed his hand, he was at one time the Lord's anointed and David wouldn't dare do anything to the Lord's anointed. He showed great honor even to someone who had not really been worthy of any honor in the recent history. But to David, because he was appointed at one time by God, that was a reason to show honor. Every human being is made in the image of God. And no matter how evil their sins, still they are created in the image of God and they're all worth our honor. Second Samuel chapter six is the story of bringing the ark to Jerusalem, which began in revelry and party until Uzzah 
died. And then it was brought slowly and worshipfully to Jerusalem in reverence. And so this is about fear, healthy fear, not being afraid fear, but a, a reverence, an understanding that we are not God, that God owes us nothing, and that God owing us nothing and us being his enemy has given us forgiveness and redemption and a place at the king's table. And it's about being thankful for that, which leads us to 2 Samuel 7, the next chapter, which is about gratitude. And there's no psalm listed here because in the lesson, 2 Samuel 7, is David uh, singing a, a psalm of worship to the Lord. Who am I, God, that you have done these things for me? It's about gratitude. And 2 Samuel 11 through 12 is about grieving our sins. This is the story of David and Bathsheba and her husband Uriah and Nathan the prophet in the word of the Lord, the dead child, and the birth of Solomon. And so 2 Samuel 11 through 12 is all about grieving our sin. Those lessons we just did a couple of nights ago, and they're still fresh for us. And no need to say more there. And of course, I've paired this with Psalm 51, a Psalm of David, um, based on this incident with Bathsheba. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And then tonight we look at redemption, about giving value back, giving worth back, giving identity back. God does it for us, and we should do it for our brothers and sisters. Part of the goal of discipleship is to look at our brother and sister and remind them of who they are. In a few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. And um, Ephesians has some do this, don't do that in chapter five, six, four, five, and six. But those only come after four and a half chapters of Paul reminding the Ephesians who they are, reminding them who they are in Christ. We looked at that just the other night when we read Ephesians chapter one, in Christ, in Christ, through Christ, in him, through him, because of him. Over and over again in that thesis statement, in that opening long sentence, that thesis statement of the letter to the Ephesian church, Paul reminds us who our identity, uh, who holds our identity, who gets to define our worth, who gets to tell us who we are. It's only after that, it's only after spending four chapters plus of reminding us who we are, does he finally get into, so because of that, Live this way, not this way. And um, so being able to, we receive it from God and with our fellow brothers and sisters, we need to be able to provide that redemption as well. To praise the praiseworthy things and to admonish them for um, uh, sin, negativity, anger. I have been blessed today and that I've been able to do both of these things with numerous people. I've seen uh, a handful of people today that have gone days and days without seeing anybody. And I think I've seen four or five people today. And each experience has been a conversation of, um, you know, a couple hours and being able to uh, build something up in other people. And it's been 
just a great joy to participate in that. So once again, I just want to go back through this list audibly and uh, you can just listen. Pursuing God's heart, being after God's own heart, pursuing God's heart requires relationship, trust, listening, repentance, boldness from humility, remembering, patience, obedience, vision, confidence, honor, reverence, gratitude, grieving our sin, and redemption. If we're going to be after God's own heart, these are the things that we must take hold of. These are the things that we must pursue. This is how we will find him. We talk about the Bible being a roadmap and uh, it's not a great analogy, but it's not a wrong one. Um, but I think often we think when we think of it that way, we think, well, the Bible tells us what to do and what not to do. So if we do the things it says to do and we don't do the things that it says not to do, that's how we get to God. That ends up with, we end up creating a very works-based faith when we do that. And that is not the type of faith that scripture teaches. Certainly there are things commanded that we ought to do. And certainly there are things that we are commanded not to do that we should not do. But when I think of the Bible as a roadmap, I'm thinking more of these qualities. If you will chase these qualities in life, you will find God because this is God's heart. And when you chase these things down to the source, that's where you will find him. we got one more lesson left in this series. And Lord willing, it'll be tomorrow. But I just want you to think about these things over the next 24 hours. And what I want you to ask yourself, I want this to be a time of self-assessment. So don't hold the list up to your husband or your wife and make um, assessments about them. No, no deeming of your spouse. This is self-deeming, self-assessment. And I just want you to go through this list and I want you to think about the qualities here that you excel at. Some of us are just naturally gifted at being patient more so than other people. Some of us are just naturally gifted at, at being thankful and having a, a positive attitude. Or some people, um, maybe because of circumstances in life, just really trust the Lord and just have a real fervent trust. A lot of us, we're all good at, at some of these. Likewise, there's some of these we that all of us need to work on. So I would love for you personally to take this list and use it as self-assessment and just ask yourself, okay, which of these do I do well at? And let me be thankful for those and thank God for that. But then which of these do I really need to work on and how can I work on them? Hey, I lack patience. How can I work on patience? I, I lack gratitude. What's something that I can do to start showing more gratitude? You know, I don't treat people with honor. What can I do that will remind me to treat every person that I come across with the honor worthy of someone created in the image of God, an immortal being that will exist forever, eternally? How do I show that creature honor? Pursuing God's heart requires relationship, trust, listening, 
repentance, boldness from humility, remembering, patience, obedience, vision, confidence, honor, reverence, gratitude, grieving our sin, and redemption. And it's my prayer that you will experience the fullness of all of these in Christ. Sketches from Scripture is a production of Parabolos, the production company of author and filmmaker Paul Andrew Skidmore. Subscribe to this podcast and more at skidmore.substack.com.